the Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Not an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Lucky team, Mr. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. It's time now for Armchair Politics. Join host Tom Sumner for this weekly reality check on current events in local, state, and national politics and the real issues that really matter. You, too, can be part of Armchair Politics. Find us on Facebook. We let the dogs off their leash. Stay tuned. Because it's on now. Hey, good morning and welcome to this week's edition of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program. Joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, our... uh, Roundtable regulars, uh, our panel of political pundits includes on the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Paul, good morning. Good morning. Good to be here. And on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican, Henry Hatter. Henry, good morning to you as well. Good morning, Tom and Paul. And joining us uh, for this week's uh, roundtable, we have East Village Magazine Consulting Editor, Jan Worth Nelson. Good morning, Jan. Good morning, and happy birthday to Henry. Isn't it, wasn't it his birthday a couple of days ago? Yes, it was. Thank you. <laughs> and I, I, I want to add a little, uh, a little program note here so that people won't become confused if they see one of my Facebook posts. Next week, Armchair Politics will not be live. It will be a pre-recorded uh, show, uh, actually a repeat from April that includes Jan will be with us and um also uh in the first hour uh economist chris douglas so don't be confused and and sit by the phones huh. <laughs> 
I, I can't be here, so I, I, I have to play a repeat. I try to avoid that on Wednesdays because of the timely nature of armchair politics. But we have a good show from, from April playing in its place. So there will be a show. Uh, it just won't be done live. Um, but today's show is live, and we always start with um, a couple of quotes. And the first one is always uh, fashioned after Flint-based comedian Mark Bono's Facebook feature, Finish the Joke. We open armchair politics with Finish the Quote, and it goes like this. Can any of you seriously say the Bill of Rights could get through Congress today? It wouldn't even what? Get out of committee. <laughs> or get past filibuster. <laughs> it, wouldn't even be, it wouldn't even be considered. Well, you're, you're both right, and Paul nailed it right out of the chute. The actual quote is, can any of you seriously say the Bill of Rights could get through Congress today? It wouldn't even get out of committee. Mm. You know who That's said that? That's probably true. Yeah, this is a depressing time. This is a depressing week this week, <laughs> isn't it, on that score? You know who mm. said that? Um, mm. um, okay, Joe Biden. Nope, I, and I won't, I won't leave you hanging. It was, in fact, F. Lee Bailey. Oh, that's, oh, that's interesting. In yeah. peace. The, the yeah. well-known criminal defense attorney who passed away June 3rd at 87. Some of his high-profile cases uh, included defending Sam Shepard, Albert DeSalvo, a.k.a. the Boston Strangler, and uh, O.J. He yeah. liked those bad boys, didn't he? What's that? <laughs> like those bad boys <laughs> well he yeah, made he, a good was, living at it yeah he was the best known crim criminal defense attorney in his day I, I he was in the headlines all the time for some of those cases yeah he liked a challenge apparently <laughs> that's true <laughs> he did like a challenge and he was good on tv yes um, but the uh, a couple of quotes this week uh, that caught my attention. One was, uh, it was very scary because I thought I was going to lose my life. Who do you think uh, said that? Cortez. Ocasio-Cortez? No. Murder. Hmm. It, was, it was U.S. Capitol Police Sergeant Aquilino Gano. Um, he was he was beaten with a flagpole. His hand was sliced open. He was hit with so much chemical spray that the liquid soaked through to his skin during intense hand-to-hand -hand combat with rioters on the west front of the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. There were moments where Gonnell thought he might die. They called us traitors. They beat us. They dragged us. Gonnell told CNN in his first interview about the violence he experienced and witnessed on January 6th, and I could hear them, we're going to shoot you, we're going to kill you, you're choosing your paycheck over the country, you're a disgrace, you're a traitor. Lordy, no, but those were just, those were just tourists. Well, yeah, but, you know... I, you know, I, I was asking Sandy who said that. Um, I was trying to remember the congressman that said that and whether or not he was from Florida where spring break might, you know, tourists might look like that a little bit. <laughs> Another Florida man. <laughs> well, it, I think it was the representative from Alabama. I, I think you might be right, Henry, in all seriousness. Yeah. Um, the question is, is a congressional commission necessary 
to determine who should face charges and what charges they should face for the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol? Well, I think the charges probably ought to be handled by the Justice Department, but in terms of investigation about who instigated it, what was said you know, between maybe the White House and other individuals, those may go beyond charges, but I think in terms of the bigger picture, a committee of some kind, it's too bad that the the relatively nonpartisan committee looks like it's not going to happen. But yeah. did you hear? Uh, did you hear what um, Senator Peters uh, had to say um, earlier in the? Yes, I did. In the show, yeah. yes. um, I I was surprised at at how people didn't understand the narrow scope of the Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee's uh, investigation into January 6th. Uh, even some of the reporters who participated in yesterday's press call, you know, seemed to want to find out, you know, was the president involved in some way? Should he, Does he have some responsibility? And who were the people that did this insurgency? And Homeland wasn't looking at any of that. They were looking at how the insurgency overwhelmed security so readily and mm-hmm. what could be done yeah. in the future. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a very narrow focus. And you know, they, they did their explanation and they made recommendations and so on. But I think a part of that is Americans have always looked at the Capitol, the White House, and those who govern it as and people who protected uh, and cared for the country uh, without question. We never knew that the enemy on the inside was as pervasive as the enemy on the outside that attacked yeah. our borders. Yeah, that, that's a poignant way to put it. That really hits at the heart of it. The demons were us in, yes. inside. That's true. That's true. Well, and, that, and, and again, it's worth finding out exactly what the, what connections there were going on. I mean, there's you know all kind of rumors and suspicions and pieces of guesswork here and there. But I mean, I think a, a serious inquiry. Is, is is certainly justified, if nothing else, just for the history of it. I mean, not not, not so much even to be a partisan thing, but just for the history of it. What what was going on there? Because there was certainly some odd behavior on the part of a number of individuals, not the least of which was Trump, but some others that just raised some serious questions. You know, I've, maybe this is what Henry's getting at. Um, to me, as an American, that whole thing just hurt my heart. It just, I mean. It just hurt. It hurt the heart of America, uh, you know. In line with what Henry was saying about that sort of sacred dome and everything <clears throat> that's underneath it, and for it to have become all about politics somehow is just so aggravating and disheartening. Uh, I mean, our hearts need to be healed, and you know, uh, the colloquial way to put it is, I feel like heads heads got to roll because they hurt the they hurt the heart of my country there. Who, <clears throat> but who I don't, it? you know, literally I would hope that wouldn't happen, but you know what I'm saying? I feel like yeah. there's never been any full accountability, and um, it, it's just, I feel like it's, I feel very cynical about the fact that people like Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy uh, have just refused to acknowledge that for a big part of us, 
was hurt, was seriously, seriously hurt and damaged and disrespected. Who was it that said, uh, I've seen the enemy and the enemy is us? Yeah, I think oh, it was. that was uh, John Paul Jones, I believe. No, no, that, that was a cartoon. The car, uh, um, oh, well, this was a historian. <laughs> no, that, I mean, this was, was one of our revolutionaries. Uh, one of the, uh, it was on a ship, I think he said that. Really? Look it up. Well, uh, you know, what, what I, were you, you thinking? Were saying, what were you thinking, Paul? Uh, no, that that line was out of a out of a, a kids' cartoon within the last half century or so, and I can't think of the name of it right now. <coughs> um, gee, um, well, the name escapes me, but yeah, it was a kids' oh, no? cartoon. Um, what would you think of it, Jan? I, I was uh, thinking it might be Pogo, but. Yeah, it was one of those Pogo or Kelvin and Hobbes. No, I. Uh, yeah, it's but it's just been well quoted from that. Um, uh, we have met the end. Uh, well, yeah, I, 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 I was thinking it was at the maybe at the Battle of Tippecanoe. Came out of that. I, you know, but I, I had, looked it up. I, I thought it was. Uh, I I, I, th- I thought it was something that that came out of the Cold War, but I I don't know. I I just remember that quote. And uh, oh wait, I just I'm just pulling it up right now. For, well, let's see here. I'm sitting in front of my computer, and it is uh, Pogo. Yeah, it is Pogo. Yeah, Walt Kelly's funny animal Pogo provided a surprising but effective setting for the inclusive political satire. But also here during the War of 1812. The U.S. Navy defeated the British Navy in the Battle of Lake Erie. Right, Oliver what... Perry said, "We have met the enemy, and the enemy is ours." Some a slightly different version. That's of the one I was quoting. Yeah, yeah, that's where it comes from. But it was yeah. Pogo. Was, was was a kids' cartoon yeah. with the enemy. He is the enemy is us. Yeah. Uh, you know, and and, and I, uh, referring back to what uh, Jan said, how how badly it hurt her to see. Um, enemies invading the White House that had stood 220 to 42 years on a prairie all by itself. The, the Capitol building. The, the Capitol building. I recall watching that afternoon. I just, I, I just was, was sort of, you know, when it first started, I said, well, it's going to be a demonstration, and I, I, I figured that was going to be an angry demonstration. But then as it continued, I was just shocked all afternoon to watch it develop uh, on January 6th. No, it seems just fine if the enemy is somebody else inside the country, like with 11. That actually brought us together at 9-11. And now, in this case, we just don't know what to do. The enemy is us. Oh, here, here's one more piece of detail here. Uh, the uh, cartoonist coined the phrase for an anti-pollution Earth Day poster in 1970. And use it again in a special comic strip for Earth Day in 1971. Okay. And he, yeah. All right. That's, a, that's, a, that's cool. I'm getting an echo from somebody. It's it's me. I don't know. Oh, yeah, I'm hearing an echo too. Hold on a second. Okay, Ted. All right. Do you, you have the thing off the the hang up the phone? Did you hang up the phone by any chance? 
Oh, okay. I thought it might be me. Hey, we've got to take a a short break, but we'll come back with uh, another quote right after this. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can. Keep wearing masks correctly and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19 and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. I know 
a place where you never get harmed. A magical place with magical charms. Indoors, indoors, indoors. Take it away. Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. And welcome back, everybody. We continue uh, Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by Jan Worth Nelson. And we get back to uh, where we left off before the break, and that was uh, uh, there was another quote this uh, past week that got my attention. And uh, I'm going to paraphrase it just slightly, but, but without uh, changing too much content. Um, you know, people need to have confidence in the election process, and I think what would give them confidence is to see a state legislature working in a bipartisan fashion to make any changes they feel that are necessary. The um, <clears throat> House Majority Leader in Michigan. Nope, you're you're you're. Um, on the right track, though, it was uh, actually former House Speaker John Boehner. Oh, oh. Uh, On Thursday, he criticized his party for recently enacting strict voting rules in states around the country, saying the very partisan way it's happening will only undermine people's confidence in the electoral process. The question is, is former House Speaker Boehner's perspective still relevant? Mm. Apparently not. Uh, unfortunately, yeah, I'm afraid, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, Paul Ryan's comments kind of just dripped into the ground without being much noticed. Uh, yeah. Uh, if you look at all the opposition, who's who's having an impact? But it does show a, a change in direction. And it, but he and doesn't have any firm. power anymore. He doesn't, he no, doesn't he have doesn't. any power, though. <clears throat> but for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. The numbers are declining for the dominant forces within the party. Is that how yeah, it feels, I, Henry? Does it feel that way to you? Yeah, I think that every time we lose uh, <clears throat> a prominent uh, or historical figure in the Republican Party, it kind of uh, diminishes its its presence. Yeah, I think the real question is where do the Paul Ryans and the, the Boehners go in the future? I mean, if, unless the Republican Party changes, do they become but a they third still, party? They, they still have their uh, uh, their followings. Are, yeah. Do they have any potential impact? Oh. oh, I think they do. Anytime anybody criticizes someone else after serving in a powerful position, everybody listens. Well, I don't. I don't know if it doesn't feel that way. I don't know if everybody like listens, but but maybe, um, and and I'll see what you think about this. Um, maybe it's just another Republican voice saying that that maybe the Republican leadership is is going down the wrong road. Oh, I think so. I mean, I mean, there's a number of voices that are doing that, but the question is, are they enough to to are they anywhere near a majority? I think they're a significant minority of the Republican Party, but 
they're being elbowed aside by the by the Trump forces in large part. But I mean, one thing that they, where do they go? I don't know. I don't know. Go we, ahead, Henry. We haven't we haven't sorted out yet that the party and uh, key leaders uh, who may be uh, diverge from the mission of the Republican Party are still different forces within the within the hemisphere within the the this universe the political universe they're completely different and and one will fall back to it's like space debris crash and burn the other one will persist and that's the Republican Party. Well, I, I don't I, I don't want to pick on uh, on Republicans too much. So let's let's turn to um, a, a group that maybe gets along a little better. The city council has <laughs> failed. <laughs> <laughs> oh my word! Has, right. has failed to pass a budget for the fiscal year that begins in July, putting it in violation of the city charter and leaving it with an uncertain path forward. Council lost its ability to continue its virtual meeting Monday, June 8th, after five members eventually left the nine-hour session following failed votes to amend or adopt the $71 million budget proposed by Mayor Sheldon Neely. Members could not agree on issues including more than a dozen proposed amendments to the budget and whether to accept and spend part of more than $47 million in COVID-19 relief funds from the federal government. Mayor Neely did not include the American Rescue Plan funds in the budget, which was proposed before the funds were awarded, but several council members have, have said the money should be formally accepted since the first of two payments from the feds uh, arrived in the city nearly three weeks ago. The mayor said in a statement issued to MLive the Flint Journal Tuesday that the council failed the city by failing to approve a budget. Is Flint's council capable of managing the city's finances? It sure doesn't oh. look like it. I, didn't I, that meeting go on uh, to 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning? And yes, they, it I, did. They're, they're in violation <clears throat> of the charter technically now, I yeah, believe. Yeah, yes, they are. Supposed and to be the first to, Monday in uh, June, first Monday in June, what the charter says. You have to yeah. ask yourself whether the council really understands its mission. You know, uh, nobody can, no, no organization can fondle around like they do. They don't, See, Henry, you're talking about exactly, uh, Henry, you're talking about exactly what my first thought was, is, come on, guys, uh, come on, guys and gals, you, you have one job. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, more yeah. than, you're, you're exactly right, Tommy, the, the, the number one job of any legislative body is to pass the budget. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of other things, too, but the budget is the big one. And but they're all parenthetical. I, I mean, the principal mission of a body, whether it's the county board of commissioners, uh, the city council, or the state uh, legislature, is, you know, pass, approve, implement, tweak a budget. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, um, the very question that you asked when I first came on the show, you ask, if this was 1787 in yeah. today's climate, could we pass the Bill of Rights? Have <laughs> think about it. Consider the, the most local form of government. 
this is the best that we can offer. Yeah. That type yeah. of birth. That's the very best. There's no people who think through the issues who is willing to compromise and say we also represent and support the mission of all people in the country. But it's you versus them. It's us versus you. And we cannot continue to walk that road. I hear you. Yeah. yeah. We will yeah, we will clap. Yeah, whenever I hear yeah. somebody talking about uh you know the American uh, uh great experiment in democracy i'm reminded of winston churchill saying that democracy right. was the worst form of government except for all the others yeah <laughs> or yeah or the, the other the other churchill quote you use tom a lot is the uh, the strongest argument against democracy is a five-minute talk with the average voter <laughs> oh man oh god you know that really resonates doesn't it i'm just oh lord i mean it's really a depressing time, and um, if I, I'm so touched by Henry's argument or Henry's comment that this local application of democracy is where it could shine. It should shine, mm-hmm. you know. That it could, we could really. I mean, Flint. Look at just look at Flint. I mean, we need we need somebody to say we can make local government work because when the state government handled it, they screwed with us. They messed it up. So let us show you how you really help the people. We know how to do it, you know. But then only 6% of the people show up to vote, and then you end up with these people in city council that don't seem to yeah. take the responsibility seriously. It's, it's really depressing. Well, and you know, the funny thing is the city council is, is nonpartisan technically because mm-hmm. they, they, they hope to avoid those partisan squabbles right. you see in in right. the U.S. Congress and elsewhere, and it seems like it's done nothing in that regard. <laughs> this is where you hammer out what the people really need, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, like like just little things that become big things, like people are wondering when their yard waste is going to get picked up. So that might be a small thing in the global picture, but, like, nobody is getting any answers, and the, con- the supposedly the Republic contract is expiring at the end of June, and there yeah. was a bid problem. They had to rebid it. And the whole thing is a big mess. And meanwhile, all the streets around town have these brown bags rotting. Jan, uh, Jan are, you look, are you looking at my notes? Because I have that coming up next. A, uh, a proposed 50% increase in Flint homeowners' garbage assessments has been rejected by the city council as officials inside City Hall scramble to develop a new request for proposal to provide waste collection in the city. The council, which was divided on several votes related to Mayor uh, Sheldon Neely's proposed budget on Monday, agreed unanimously to amend a master fee schedule for city services that included the proposed assessment increase from $167 to $250 per year. Without the increase in the garbage assessment, the city's budget for the fiscal year beginning July 1st would be short more than $2 million, officials said. But council members say residents don't want to spend more when they are already unsatisfied with current contractor Republic Services, which has struggled to pick up yard waste for several weeks. Um, is, is raising the garbage assessment the only way the city can get the trash collected? I mean, for well, God's that, sake, really. I know. <laughs> Go ahead, Dan. No, I was just going to say uh, the connection between those two is 
is deeply aggravating to me. Like, what are we paying for right now? Well, you know, we're paying for like we're paying for them to pick up our wa- our yard waste already. We already pay that amount for the mm-hmm. per year. So we're going to pay them more when they're not when they're doing less. It doesn't make any sense. But you know, again, the, the way that the council's handling this to me is inept. It's funny to me, and this is truly word funny. Now we are we are surrounded by COVID everywhere, yeah. in terms everywhere, and we are wallowing in garbage, and yeah. don't know how to come together to figure out how to remove some of these sources that endanger us yeah. uh, through COVID. Um, the most basic of um, then we services. think uh, doctors yeah. and lawyers can solve our problems. All we got to do is just go yeah. get a lawyer and yeah, sue yeah. somebody or complain to the the mayor. The, governor or the president about how to solve these problems, but these are local problems for local governments to solve. This is where democracy is on the line. This is where democracy is on the line. If this kind of local representative government simply fails to deliver time after time after time, then it's like our democracy looks limpid. It looks, you know, impotent, and uh, it's really... It, and it starts with stuff like that, like you're saying, COVID germs, rotting bags on the street. Yeah. I mean, yeah. come on. Let's show a little bit of uh, well, what's, remember, what's the problem. Remember the great experiment um, to pick up the trash every other week? Oh, yes. And they, the decided, yeah, and they decided to do it in the heat of the summer. Exactly. Couldn't yeah. do it in February and March and was, for a couple of months. That time was right in the middle of the worst of the water crisis, too. I remember thinking, for God's sake, we can't drink the water and our trash is rotting on the street. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> that was right in the middle of the worst of the water crisis, as I recall. Yeah. Mm. Mm. So what uh, do we our do? mission is... Well, I... With how we think through these things. We, we need yes. to completely have a new election and elect people, probably fifth graders. <laughs> I hear you. Maybe you're right, Henry. You know, what worries me is that some of the habits of the Flint City Council seem to be spreading to other governing bodies around here. You see some local school boards and other similar things here exhibiting, maybe not quite to the same degree, but similar kind of divisions and contentions that are, are very unsettling. It is. Yes. Yeah. And, yeah it is. and what's, what hurts most of all is look what we're doing to our kids. Our kids don't know their way out of a wet paper bag. And look at the look at the uh, the imagery that we're creating for how we deal with each other, how we solve mm. our problems, how we well, we look to the future, how kids become engaged, and are we on the right track? There's nothing in government that shows us that kids are benefiting. From the way government operates today, right? I feel like we're on a. I feel like we're on a. Only get worse. I feel like we're on a Zoom call, and everybody can see my notes because up next, <laughs> up next, Township Supervisor Jolena Sims is calling for the resignation of Treasurer Gail Armstrong after she claimed a black employee swung his cane at her, but That's video right. surveillance yeah. footage mm. showed no such attack. Armstrong, who is white, told members of the Township Board of Trustees last month that Chief Financial Officer Greg Eason, who is black, 
almost gets violent and came very close to hitting me before he took his cane and pushed me back during an argument in late April. The comments led to a police investigation of the incident that occurred in the township hall, including a review of video footage, interviews of seven employees, and a report from Chief Michael Veach. that indicates that while the two argued, Eason never appeared to push Armstrong. Sims, who is black, defeated longtime incumbent Larry Green in the Democratic primary election last year before winning the general election without opposition in November. Um, Does caning seem kind of old school? (laughs) Didn't that happen before the Civil War? (laughs) To one of my relatives. That's right, Uh, yeah. Yeah, sure. That's a different Sorry, kind Tom. of a cane, though. That's what yeah. the Japanese, yeah, uh, that's the true. Chinese used on the American boys that painted cars. Yeah, that's <laughs> in Japan. That's no, in that's Japan. true. I I was thinking more of uh, the um, pummeling. Senator Sumner. Yeah, that that Charles Sumner took on the floor of the U.S. Senate. Um, yeah, uh, well-known abolitionist, and in, uh, in in the uh, months leading up to the Civil War, he got clobbered pretty badly by a cane from one yeah, of the he, other he was senators. Killed. I mean, he, was, he was very badly injured, as I recall the history of it. He was yeah. actually in a coma for several yeah. months and, wow. uh, and eventually ended up back in action a little bit. Um, Good Lord. When, when, was know, that? I, when was that, Tom? In the months leading up to the Civil War. It was considered oh, one yeah, of the last... Uh, uh, you know, one of the big events leading up to the Civil War. He was yeah, arguing. Well, one of the Southern senators came over with a cane and, and they say, nearly beat him to death. It was. Jesus. I guess we haven't sunk quite that low yet. Although I'm worried about Louis Gohmert. <laughs> but uh, George Turo, uh Governor or President Thoreau, Thoreau of Canada, he was caned. He was. He was shot yesterday. He was slapped yesterday. No, that, that was that was in France. Correction, that was yeah. in France, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, Macron. France. Macron. Macron got slapped yes. yesterday. Yes. 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 Good lord. Uh, so you really, I think you should keep your peace rather than say anything. Well, uh, on on a happier note, please. Um, the Maid Institute and St. Luke's New Life Center have oh, received yeah. a $200,000 grant from the Community Foundation of Southeast Michigan to provide returning citizens in transitional housing in Genesee County with job readiness training and work opportunities. Wow. The Maid Institute was launched in 2015, according to founder Leon L. Alamine. The nonprofit's mission is to provide comprehensive programming for young individuals with criminal histories or returning citizens in the areas of workforce development. I, w- I don't really have a question about this. I was just thrilled to see it because Leon El Alamin, when he first got out and started doing this work, yeah. I have really supported his efforts. He's been a guest on the show He's many, He's many, many guy. times. Yeah, I and and I just I just felt really good about it. So I thought I'd see if anybody had any thoughts about that or the recent uh, expungement efforts in Genesee County. I mean, I, I've been impressed by the work that Leon has been doing for Freeze for some years, and it was a, really good to meet him through your show in the past. But he's just done a remarkable job. 
with yeah. that program he's put together. Yeah, that's really good to hear. We need a little good news here. Yes. So it's for returning citizens? Well, that's Leon's phrase for ex-cons. Oh, I see. Interesting. <laughs> um, that's interesting. Because of the of the negative connotations. And, and yeah. um, his mission really is to find them housing, get them trained, find them jobs, give them a different path away from recidivism. That's really great, yeah. And he's Boy. he's a person who has uh, walked the walk, as they say. Yes, yes. And, and I mean, so how great to have... How great to have somebody who's really making, really doing something that where the results are significant, really make a difference. That's boy, that's that's fantastic. Put well, him up against yeah. the city council. Here. I, w- I was just thinking he does, yeah. you know, he does more, you know, before breakfast than they do in a nine-hour meeting. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I'm just thrilled because when I first started having Leon on the show, it seemed like he was facing such an uphill battle. And now to see, you know, some of the real leaders in the community rallying around the work that he's doing is, is a big thrill for me. That's cool. Yeah. How wonderful. Yeah. Hmm. And I'm. In fact, is, is that grant? Isn't that grant shared? All that two hundred thousand dollar grant isn't that shared with uh, some group of I think nuns who were doing some other similar Saint, work. Saint Luke job creation. Yeah. 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 Those, I think that Saint Luke's group is pretty cool too, from what I've heard. Yeah, I I I, I think the work is is phenomenal. Um, and and the basic premise okay. being that, um, you know, once somebody has gone to prison, done their time, theoretically paid their debt to society, when they get out, they need a path to return to some sort of normal life. And often that's been almost impossible. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, I, I thought, uh, you know, with... Uh, the problems with the with the Republican Party and uh, the city council, and now apparently Mount Morris Township, that it might be nice to see somebody doing something that's working. Yeah, that is, that <laughs> is, that is, it's good that's to see really that. great. It is really great. Yeah. Yeah, it, it takes the heat off the Republican Party. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Oh man. I I. Oh I, Henry, how are you doing? How are you doing? About the Republican Party these days, are you? Well, are you hanging in there. Yes, I am, and I, I believe uh, the people still listen to me really coherently, and they know that I'd like to see them compromise more and not be such a dominant force that there's no room for anybody else, and that's yeah, the way yeah. the United States is. You. You either, when you defeat your enemy, you got to extinguish them. Henry, on, 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 I was going to say on the local level, for the local Republican Party, do you see this similar kind of deep divisions with the, the Trump factions and the... No, um, they're not as many as here in Genesee County. They're what? No, they're not. Right. The Republicans in Genesee County 
are not as mean as some of those around the country. Huh. Well, so we're we- trying to build a more um, coherent. Well, now it figures like now it feels like a regular edition of Armchair Politics because I have to cut Hello, Henry off citizens. to take a break. We'll be right back. <laughs> okay. Every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination: a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the bricks. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write to us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255, or contact us on Facebook. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner Program where to go. Say, objection. I object. I object to that, Your Honor. Oh, hi, Mom. What's up? Dana, what are you doing? Oh, you know, just um, Attorney General stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So listen, we just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam. Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, 
Report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dina, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back. We continue with uh, our political roundtable known as Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. And just before the break, uh, um, Henry was uh, talking a little bit about uh, how he didn't think that uh, Republicans in Genesee County were as mean-spirited as uh, some Republicans around the country. And it... it, uh, um, it was it was good to hear that, and and it um, and I, and I wanted to mention that I found a little uh, uh, kind of a comrade in arms this morning when I uh, talked with former uh, Ag Secretary Dan Glickman, who has written a new book called "Laughing at Myself." Um, my education in Congress, on the farm, and at the movies. And we talked a lot about how, you know, politics has always been contentious, but it was, people had a better humor about it. And that yeah. seems to be, well, what he said was, we, we're just so uptight now. Yeah, I, I think people don't know the way back to the middle and, and that's where we need to go because nobody wants to compromise. Compromise is considered being um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> intimidated and afraid and unworthy of considerations. And you gotta, you gotta actually, you gotta disperse. You gotta dispose of your opposition. And it's, uh, it's interesting. Usually Henry. it was through the ballot box, but now it's there's a gun now. Henry, it's interesting that you use the phrase getting back to the middle because it's come up in a couple of conversations in the last week or so for me, you know, with interviews I've done um, with people who've who've written books that have some recommendations on how we might do exactly that. And what keeps coming up is um, gerrymandering, that if we got better at drawing the district lines, if the... Uh, if the the contests on the local level were uh, what um, more competitive, that it it would change dramatically. Because the reality is today the real election is the primary, so that means if you're a Republican, you worry about the far right wing of the Republican Party. If you're a Democrat, you worry about the left wing of the Democratic Party. But once you're past the primary in most districts, you're all but certain to be elected in November. And then we end up with a legislature full of people that are leading from the extremes. Yeah, that's how it looks. And and so it's surprising because, you know, redistricting is such an inside baseball thing to most people. But it's so critical in its impact on on creating a, a major flaw in in how we you know, it'll, it'll be worth watching to see how that commission works out here in Michigan. This is the first time where we're using it, and we'll see how what kind of districts they draw and the 
in the years to come, whether that really does change things here in Michigan. Um, they're, they're just barely getting started. They haven't got the census numbers yet. But uh, as I say, at least it's supposed to be a nonpartisan process, and we'll see how it works out. It's just getting driven to where uh, minority, the minority power structure is what's holding all the cards. Uh, and that's that, that kind of, it's all, it, it feels like some kind of blackmail uh, that, uh, I don't know, that, that, yeah, like the, 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 power, the, the power of the minority is really uh, sort of depressing right now. The power of the minority is like, I don't see how we get out of it. Well, and that's, that's why what Henry said was so interesting about how do it we was. get back to the middle. Back to the middle. Yeah, thank you, Henry. That's Well, uh, guys, well, let me ask you around the table. I've never asked you this before, and <clears throat> I believe I know, but I'm not sure. But do you feel that there's a place for Republicans in American politics? Absolutely. Of I course. Yes, it's... You got to have a balance of two, at least at least two parties, maybe more than that. But at least two now, parties. Now we need to turn to the Democrats. I mean, um, to the ask the opposite question. If Republicans think that there ought to be a place for Democrats, if you don't, you should not be in this conversation. You should yeah. never yeah. Uh, be elected mm -hmm. to any public office because you can't come to the middle and you can't compromise. And everything is not about a single person or a single group. Nature doesn't have, didn't make it that way. And, right. when, and when Hamilton and Madison and Jefferson and all of those discuss the um, uh, presidential papers, no, the Federalist Papers, they thought about this issue. And they said, yeah, we're, we're going to have some problems with that. But we'll be able to work through that. We, we survived 240 years, or maybe I'd say 220 at least, with that process in place. So we fought and stuff like that with each other. But we never threatened the republic. Now we've threatened the republic. Yeah. And we don't seem to be able to work out of that. Yeah, Henry, because many of those some, founders thought political parties were a terrible idea and hoped they would never would never be any. They were wrong almost immediately, but they they thought they were a dangerous thing. Um, well, I think that parties are fine because just like yeah, I mean, I think we they're, have they're parties and families. We have mom and dad. Mom and dad is a party. Yeah. <laughs> and and, and, and they, they govern the family. I don't see anything wrong with it. You know, everything doesn't go one way or the other. And, and once I, once family. again, I would suggest, uh, Henry, in that analogy that, uh, as Jan says, uh, the, the minority is <laughs> is having <laughs> way too much power. I agree. Um, well, in an effort to get Michigan legislators to move forward on allocating Michigan's $18.8 billion in stimulus funding, Governor Gretchen Whitmer on Thursday announced specific proposals to boost the state's economy recovery for, uh, using federal dollars. The state is getting $6.5 billion of nearly $11 billion in federal aid for Michigan's state and local governments from the American Rescue Plan passed in March 
Whitmer described her administration's Michigan Bigger Paycheck Plan to help businesses ramp up to meet increasing demand as the economy returns to pre-pandemic activity. The plan includes a grant program offering small businesses funds for three months to help bring hourly wages to $15. The state would commit $300 million for the grants, which will be allocated on a first-come, first-served basis. The intention is that businesses will recruit and uh, retain employees with the grant money, Whitmer said. A clawback provision will be put in place if businesses do not use the funds to offer $15 hourly wages, she said. After the funding plan for hourly wages expires, the market will drive what happens thereafter, Whitmer said. Will the market continue with a $15 an hour minimum wage? Hmm. I'm not sure. I think over time it will rise to that. Yeah. But I, I suspect you'll see a pullback for, for for a while. But I think over time, over the next several years, I think that's a likely possibility. But it, it wouldn't be an immediate thing, I don't believe. I, I feel like it's kind of putting the cart before the horse. I feel like, you know, the I, I understand that they're trying to show the merchant, the business people, that you can survive. Your business can survive if you jack if you jack up your your pay to fifteen dollars an hour. That it would give them an opportunity to see how that works out on the books, but um, it, it also could create some dependence on subsidy to keep the policy going, and that that doesn't seem very smart to me. Yeah. That well, and it and it thing. sort of seems like like it's kind of a bribe to get people who are dragging their feet about going back to work because they're doing pretty well with the assistance they're getting versus what they might be paid in their old jobs. Right. Okay. So they're like, what is the policy that's being uh, promoted by that? You know. Is it to get people back to work so that we make the unemployment less attractive? Is it? I I, I still kind of question whether that's what's motivating people. But um, yeah, yeah. There's some kind of a, an echo that uh, that I'm we sorry. don't usually have. Yeah, I'm getting a lot of echoes. <clears throat> I don't think it's me. I just. I don't, Is that a speakerphone thing, Jan? No, I mine not on speaker. Yeah, now, now I don't hear anything at all. Is Jan there? <laughs> Jan, are you still with us? Yeah. I don't. I don't hear the echo, but I don't hear Jan either. <laughs> but well, let's. Uh, let's i was going to say let's press on here but i have a break coming up in about a uh, about a minute or so we have to break for uh, top of the hour id um as i say i think those 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 subsidies may help for a little while but i think in the long run uh there'll there'll be pressure i think to raise those wages but i think it's going to take yes. longer than a couple of years um that's not going to work that's not a permanent solution. Yeah. And critics will tear that down piece by piece, just like the Berlin Wall. Well, um, although, as Jan said, there's a temptation once you have a thing in place 
there's a temptation to keep it in place, and that could be a bit of a risk. Uh, is it, uh, whenever you end that, you'll get blamed for ending it. And yeah. uh, nobody's going to want to do that, unfortunately. Are you guys still getting an echo from me? Oh, there you go, Jan. The echo seems to be gone or at least greatly improved. We have to take a uh, short break, but uh, we'll, we'll try to... Uh, continue with the second half of Armchair Politics Sans Echo after we uh, take a short break for Top of the Hour ID and then uh, part two of Armchair Politics with our roundtable regulars Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter joined this week by Jamworth Nelson. Hi, I'm we'll Alexander continue. Zodjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner.